Welcome to Common Science. This week we have a story episode, and for those of our listeners who are not familiar with that, once a month uh, we release an episode where myself, Aiden, interviews another common scientist, somebody who likes to ask questions, is curious about the world, and is doing good in the world, and sees what their story is and, and how they got to where they are today, what sorts of things that they like to do in their free time, as well as professionally. And yeah, we just sit down and have a conversation and learn more about each other and about the world. So this week is, is special too, because I've got my brother James uh, in person in our childhood basement. And uh, that ha- is a rarity these days because he's living in Chicago now and I'm down in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, but I'm super grateful for the opportunity to sit down with him and, and have a chat and share his story with uh with the world and and with our listeners more specifically so uh without more delay i'll just uh ask james to give a little bit of an intro like what is he up to these days um well thank you for having me aiden this is really fun i'm pretty excited aiden's been a part of most of my journey i guess um (laughs) since we are siblings but Currently, I am a third year, well, I guess rising fourth year optometry student um, in Chicago at the Illinois College of Optometry. I think I started there in 2018, so been grinding that out for a while now, just books and clinic, and that's pretty much what I've been doing. Um, and that's where I've been at for the past three years, not in yeah. Minnesota, not with you or mom or dad. So Yeah, it's been a bit of a change because, yeah, I mean, we both uh, went to the same college, Carleton, in, in Northfield, Minnesota, and we both also uh, mostly grew up in Minnesota, and, and so maybe that's where we can uh, jump backwards in time, too. Uh, one question that I kind of ran into growing up, and that I'm sure you can relate, being my being my brother and having shared most of our lives together, uh, is where are you from? And I, I'm curious what that evokes uh in you given how frequently we moved around growing up yeah so i don't know if you talked about it but aiden and i both were born in minnesota but spent the majority of our lives bouncing following our father fred um around on his work adventures and for me where i'm from would probably be where i would say i'm personally from is where i say i'm from on facebook which is campinas uh, Brazil, which is uh, a small city. It's a couple million people outside of Sao Paulo um, in south central um, Brazil. But the, the reason why I say I'm from there is because those were some of my first memories. And technically, since my birth certificate says I'm from Minnesota or the USA, I would still say that that's where I'm from because those were my first memories. Yeah. What are some of those first memories that stick out to you? Um working with the construction crew that next door to our house we so when we moved around or we didn't own a house per se we would fred was given a job we would move into a house that the company owned and so we were in brazil in the 90s and it was like this gated community with guys at the front gate with ak-47s and these big dogs scary dogs and so i was always kind of i remember that growing up because i was like these dogs look terrifying do you remember the what are the names of those kinds of dogs? Cause they're, oh man, you put me on the spot. I can't remember, but they're, they're uh, it's they're Brazilian mastiffs. If you look at Brazilian mastiffs, I think they pop up. But but they have a different name. Like they have a more technical name that I can't remember off the top of my head. But they are very large dogs, probably eighty to hundred pound dogs. So I remember seeing that. And then um, when we moved into this big house, it was a massive house for my parents. Right out of like my dad out of business school working it was a pretty large house with a a gardener and it was we were living pretty nice which was funny um for the area around brazil where we were living where there's obviously you know a wide income gap and all sorts of crazy stuff but it was funny because um we had a house being built next door to us some of my first memories were of me with my little red red uh wheelbarrow and um (laughs) essentially just uh working with the construction crew like my mom would just send me over there and i would just be like having cement in my dump truck or in my wheelbarrow it from the truck and helping these guys essentially do work and it was very unregulated and probably unsafe but i had a little hard hat on and working with these you know uh brazilian workers which is kind of funny 
That's awesome. So to to back up just uh, briefly for our listeners, it's the Fila Brasileiro, I think, if I'm not butchering the pronunciation. And James said they might have been 80 to 100 pounds. It says here that males will weigh between 140 and 180 pounds. Sorry about that. Um, they're big dogs. They're huge dogs. And I think they were, I mean, yeah, obviously, tragically used uh, to hunt slaves. Uh, and that's what they were bred for. So they're vicious dogs. So yeah, I can imagine being a young, like, pint-sized yeah, they could eat James. Me. I was terrified. Of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I still have. No, I, I remember. I remember those dogs specifically because they were pretty, pretty scary guard dogs. But yeah, Dang. but um, yeah, Brazil is awesome. That's why I say I'm from there. Is because I mean, just so many crazy things that you pick up like on like we had this tiny little backyard and this massive front yard, and I'd go fishing for like these big. The, the guy that owned the property would stock it with koi. So I'd be fishing for koi, like these massive koi that he had stocked in this, like, you know, wild Brazilian pond. And then uh, he put an arapaima in there, if you're not familiar with that. And the arapaima is like this jumping fish. And his son had kept it. And long story short, it got too big for the tank. So they released it into this pond and they ate all the koi fish. Like all these beautiful, like, you know, I named them like cow because there's a black and white spotted one. And there was like an orange and white one that I had names for. It. And this arapaima grew to being like four and a half, five feet long. And it ate all the fish. And then Dang. like the one time it dropped below freezing in Brazil. Yeah. Like, it, like the one time it dropped below freezing, this arapaima was like just floating in the middle. Like not below freezing, but it like got really cold there. This arapaima couldn't survive in the pond. And it was like almost five feet long. And it's this terrifying looking fish, but they're pretty cool. That's bonkers. Yeah, yeah they're su- yeah they're super cool uh, fish. I think too. If if anybody's a River Monsters mm-hmm. fan, it's a TV show where a guy goes out to uh, the boonies of wherever and, and tries to fish for whatever uh, he can. Um, and the arapaima is one of those. Uh, there's an episode on the arapaima. Oh, yeah. So they're big fish. Uh, he catches one and they can jump out. I think they can jump like 10, 15 feet out of the water and catch birds. Like they eat birds out of trees, which is just like mind boggling to me. They yeah. also have one at the Shedd Aquarium in oh. uh, Chicago. Yeah. Wow. That's good to, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if anybody, if you're in Chicago, uh, yeah, I would highly recommend the Shedd Aquarium. I, when I visited James, it feels like too long ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, the Shedd Aquarium was de- definitely a highlight. Um, but, man, so you, you answer with Campinas, Brazil. And then uh, after that, so we mentioned to our listeners, uh, we our family moved around quite a bit. We also uh, then lived in the UK, specifically England, yep. in Manchester, which for those of our listeners who don't know, um, similar to Brazil, is like a, a mecca for soccer, soccer. Or, fo- or football, depending football. on who you ask. Uh, yeah. So how did how did uh, yeah? What are some of your early memories of of soccer or or football or whatever you you like to call it? In Brazil, so start in Brazil. Played for this team, and it was like a, a, there was no like in U.S. There's all these age groups and stuff, and it's organized. In the 90s in Brazil, it was like you you were on the team and the oldest kid was the age group. So I was playing like four years in a league four years older than me and just getting my butt kicked. And I hated soccer. <laughs> like I, I loved the idea of soccer, but I'd get my butt kicked every single time I showed up. And then when I went to England, it was like much more refined and organized. But I never really played on a team, I don't think, because I was still pretty young. I, I don't remember playing on a team until we got back to the States. We played like with a school and I'd play in the yard or I'd play – like at or um, in the schoolyard, I played a ton there, um, and just being like just ridiculed for being American and just being like. <laughs> first off, I did, had an American accent, so people made fun of me for that. But also just like British schoolyard, if you can imagine, like the stereotypical like BBC TV show of just like you know someone calling you like a wanko or something like that and yelling at you. It's like it was very much like what it would be for like a second grader, but a little bit more. Um, rude i guess the kids were so it was it was fun but uh when we were there we also like similar situation we moved into a house that the company owned and we lived in a very cool community because i mean manchester 
is where Manchester United play is from, and we grew up being huge fans of as, Manchester as well as Manchester City. Unfortunately, I'm no, bad. yeah, but but <laughs> I'm saying because there's only one team in Manchester, and it's the Reds. Man United, Man City is a sideshow, despite them winning the Premier League today. But that's neither here nor there. But we grew up in a community where there was in a neighborhood that literally had three Manchester United players, and back in the '90s when Manchester United was in their heyday or renaissance it was incredible and i didn't really like i don't think Aiden and i really appreciated it ever but like peter schmeichel um peter schmeichel lived in our neighborhood um steve bruce lived in our neighborhood who's now the manager of newcastle peter schmeichel's son casper schmeichel plays for leicester city which is kind of a crazy thing because like for americans that means nothing but that's like living in the same neighborhood as like patrick mahomes for an nfl comparison like for back then in the 90s, that's kind of we were just lucky enough to live there and didn't really understand the significance of it. So it was very cool going to school with Casper Schmeichel and Cecilia Schmeichel, who were like, you know, their dad is a starting goalkeeper for one of the best teams in the world. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts to me. And and like you said, it, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, it just doesn't mean much here. Um, but one thing that I like truly appreciated from that experience as well as just soccer more generally was the exposure to more uh cultures and more like yeah just worldly like it definitely opened my eyes to that there is more beyond the u.s as well oh yeah um we spent most of our life until like recently abroad like we didn't like We'd come back to the U.S. for two months stints, and that was it for, you know, up until like I think wow, I when I was 11 years old. You were probably yeah, eight, so. Yeah, eight, nine. Um, yeah. yeah, so, yeah, it, it was just kind of, I think, definitely a transformational. Uh, I mean, obviously, childhood is transformational for anybody, but I think uh, for me, the the soccer and the, uh, and the international experience definitely led me to look to uh like ideas abroad and and for opportunities to travel abroad as well what what sorts of influences do you think that that opportunity had on you i like to travel yeah i want to travel yeah i don't know i just i i think that like especially europe europe like brazil was a little bit different because we were pretty young and like for both of us even for me like i have all these great memories but I don't remember a lot of the trips, like the trip to Argentina, stuff like that. But our parents did a lot of traveling with us with three kids in tow, two for the most of England, but three young children. Um, And I think that that in itself was really cool because we got to be able to go to like Germany for the weekend or Lake Como in Italy. We're very, very lucky. And so those experiences of just, you know, going out and doing something kind of adventurous and wild with our parents really showed me that, you know, that's something I want to do with my kids too. Um, even if it is, you know, I mean, if you're in Europe and you can bounce around like that, I think it would still be cool to do that even here in the U S if, I, if I'm land bound, yeah. but it makes me want to travel. Like I, I've always appreciated the opportunity to be able to travel and thankful for all the opportunities I've had in the past. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that, I think the impact on it, on a kid in particular is just so huge. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot of ways to do it. One, one way I had come across um, was that the, this family, where there were three three daughters between the ages of, I think, five and ten. Uh, fortunately, the father had the opportunity to work remotely, and so they had had sold their house in Colorado and were traveling around the the world. The other way to his new job in California over the course of 12 months so they that's pretty wild yeah super wild um yeah I ended up linking up with the the wife through a dive in in Fiji which is I'm like dropping all these places um but we can get more into that I think later in the conversation as uh as uh our listeners will we'll see how the dots are all connected um but so early childhood, we traveled around a lot. You got big into soccer. Uh, it also seems to me, uh, or just one experience you mentioned, I think uh, is quite 
demonstrative uh, demonstrative of your your people your knack for people and your love of talking to people like going out and, and working with the construction workers when did you realize that you're such a a socialite or uh, would you qualify yourself as one I mean, yes, I was a Minneapolis socialite until I left in 2018, and I was very proud of that that role I held. I don't know. I just think that like part of the reason why I'm where I'm at in healthcare is because I like dealing with people. I mean, my best friend, who you know, and also Dre, which also I have to get off my chest. I think it's so funny that my younger brother and one of my best friends from high school, who Dre and I have kept in touch, but not super, super close are now doing this podcast with. So I'm very, I find that just mind boggling. So I just had to get that off my chest while I was here. It's like Aiden and Dre teamed up and Lauren can't forget about L, but just like, it's very cool. I think it's, it's a funny how the world works, but, um, my people skills, I don't know. I just, Will Corcoran told me once, like if you locked James Nair in a, a room, he'd talk to a wall. And ever since then, I was like, he's not wrong. Not that I'm like crazy, <laughs> but that, but I, I, I don't know. I just have always been blessed with that skill. I take it a little bit after my mom. As I've gotten older, I noticed that um, dad and Fred, call him Fred because I'm his namesake as well. Um, I think that like our parents are also very good people, pe- people's people. Like they can talk to people very well. My dad that's what his job is. I mean, he works in finance, but I feel like that he's been able, he does that for work very well. And then my mom is like, I look like her. I'm the only one with dark hair in the family. So I feel like I pick up a little bit of those genetics from her. Sure. Um, so I think that it's inherited, but also that like, I don't know. I just, um, I, I don't like being mean unless I have to, but like, yeah. I don't like being mean. And so I don't know. Yeah, that's super fair. Uh, and it's good to, good to know about, about yourself. When did you start to, realize that as as a bit of a differentiator between you and other people i don't know probably middle school because i was the only one talking to girls and stuff like that like i did like <laughs> i mean realistically like yeah that's probably the reason why dre and i are pretty good friends because dre's is very similar in the sense that he's a very open dre can be shy but once dre opens up like he is similar in the sense that like I think that's why we attracted, and Will, for that matter, like, that's why we all, our friends, like, in high school and middle school, now I'm just name-dropping people, but, like, our group of friends in high school, I felt like we were pretty close because we were all similar in that sense, and so it's probably middle school, high school, when, like, you know, hormones hit, and I kind of was more aware of, like, what I was doing and who I was hanging out with, I started to realize that, you know, like, I was surrounding myself with other social people that were willing to sit down and talk Yeah. about anything. That's awesome. Good and bad, in, including including girls at the at the age of middle school. Yeah, I was. I was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just definitely. Yeah, middle school. Boys. Dre would agree with that. <laughs> Will was probably not so much on that train, but yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Um, man. So then, so jumping forward, I guess we got we got to middle school and then high school. Uh, you started to. I mean, I think of my own experience in high school and just starting to force to take EP classes yeah. and like start to focus on academics and, you know, trying to balance that yeah. with being social and doing it at like the whole nine yards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Just high school, high school, <laughs> stressful time, the American version of high school yeah. or specifically Midwestern because yeah, we, we attended high school in, in Minnesota. Um, but yeah, uh, how, how was that how did you like how were classes did you have any favorites um favorite classes i really so someone i keep in touch with now who i really underappreciated when i was in school was um i think it was ninth grade it was ninth grade science with uh uh dan mr murphy dan murphy um and he was he was the guy he was like this kind of oddball guy that was like a old uh dirtbag climber that got into teaching and had traveled through the west and told us all these stories about him being a hippie in the 70s and like like i thought he was kind of weird at the time but the older i got i appreciated all the stories he taught me about like you know science like stories about his journey but also like the science he taught us throughout and so that was one of my favorite classes because i always had liked science and so he kind of had stimulated like the the relation between science and a person 
and how like it can change and have an impact on you so like one experiment it's like sitting there and he i don't remember if it was a balloon but he like did the classic it was like filled with helium or something like that he took up a match and it went and like the helium or whatever gas was in there just like kind of left this it was like a firework right like kind of left the sizzle but it was in school there's like a fire alarm like he's not it it didn't set off but he he, it was like this whole calculated theatrical display where it was like holy crap he knew exactly what he was doing but it was really freaking cool. And so he stimulated that idea of like science can be fun, but science can be like, I don't know, not just about like, you know, book work and all that stuff. It can be cool and it doesn't have to define you, but it can also be a part of you. I don't know. Because yeah. he was like all about science, but it wasn't always about him. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of hard to describe. If you know Dan Murphy, like he was, he, he still is. He's still alive. He's a wild, wild dude. Yeah, that's uh man that stands out but other than that like the other classes were kind of i don't know yeah i didn't really like i I enjoyed my class and i enjoyed all my teachers but like those experiences didn't really like that was the only class that like i really focused in on looking back in retrospect like all the ap yeah pardon me all the ap classes i took were kind of you know requirements for grad school or not grad school for undergrad and i didn't really appreciate them at the time yeah you're more going through the motions yeah going through the motions just because i was like there was soccer there were girls and then there was like my social life you know what i mean like right. i was kind of like there's a lot of balls to juggle and yeah yeah you're obviously yeah i mean you're you're focused on a lot of other things too and it, there's only so many things you can focus on yeah. so but i did do the schoolwork. Yeah, I had to get into college, but it was just not like as important to me then as like college and then undergrad or undergrad and grad school would end up being to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's I mean, that's understandable. And I think uh, one thing with high school is is, yeah, the point of it, too, is to to start to learn how to how to take things, um, take more responsibilities and, and going forward and and. Yeah, that's that's fascinating that you bring up uh, Murphy because I never had him as a high school teacher. Uh, I'm trying to think of. Unfortunately, I never had. There are no science teachers in high school that stand out to me. So it's he's the only one. That, he's uh, the only one that made it fun and cool instead of just like learning out of a book and taking like a multiple choice. Yeah, test. there's a lot of them like that. Like you're you're talking about that mm-hmm. make it more not their fault i feel like that's more just like you know how curriculum is set up and you know if you have yeah. a good teacher a good teacher takes a curriculum and makes it unique and interesting it's right. not just book work right know. yeah and i think to no disrespect to teachers that do that right. you still learn absolutely but, not <laughs> absolutely not but but it's more fun from a student that makes more impactful when it's a little bit more meaningful which can vary student to student obviously yeah totally uh yeah one thing too that stood out was the the tie between his personal stories and his uh and his science that's uh quite inspiring he was like well. a really big climber like his son i living vicariously through facebook right um still keep in contact but his son just like climbed el cap with ropes not like alex honnold but like that is pretty incredible for those from of, a physical feat for those who Yosemite. don't know what is el, el cap el capitan is a big granite face in the valley of yosemite that is i actually have no idea how tall it is i just know it's really really tall and really really intimidating um and if you ever have the chance to go to yosemite in general it's gonna be hard to miss el cap it's a short nickname but um people climb it and they do it in multi-day climbs um and uh if you haven't heard there's a uh movie um documentary um done by jimmy chin which is very very cool he's a carlton college alum and then alex honnold who's a world famous uh rock climber and he um free solos it meaning that he climbs it without ropes and if you're afraid of heights i still recommend watching it because it's kind of like the most ba thing you've ever seen in the history of humankind like him climbing it without ropes is pretty wild and the movie's called free solo yeah dang free solo yeah i'll have to link that in the cell in the show notes yeah i actually have not watched free solo what i know i i i'm shocked like all the documentaries we watch together like in our entire life right Uh, yeah and i've i've heard and no and and to the good things um from you and many other people yeah. as well so I'll, I'll i'll have to watch it shout out then, jimmy chin 
And then, Shout out Alex Honnold. <laughs> and then link it in the show yeah, notes, because yeah, yeah. I can't be linking it in the show notes without having watched well, it. Well, my recommendation, it's sick. It's <laughs> yeah. sick. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Uh, man, so there's a lot going on in high school, but you had uh, Mr. Murphy as an, as an inspiring science teacher who just really took it to the took it to the now and to the to the, the real world which is is cool and and common science we, we the point of this podcast is to bring science to the real world and and to the people so that's, i think you should get dan murphy as your next we guest. might we, need to we might need to <laughs> that'd be really up. funny we might need to send him this episode and then yeah, yeah. and then say hey hey mr you, you featured on the last podcast we've got to pick your brain uh, yeah, I think that would be really funny. Maybe we can explode some helium yeah. too while, we, while he's on the cast. <laughs> uh, that's too funny. But you you made it through high school. You survived. Yeah, barely. Social, social life, classes, all the things. And you got into college to, uh, to do college to do college and learn, right? But also play college soccer. Yes. Uh, That's most the reason why I got into school there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, realistically, like, it, it was probably, there was a lot of push on the soccer side because, I mean, I did pretty well, but, like, test taking was never one of my, standardized test taking, which I think is not the most real and true way to, you know, measure someone's success or future success. But um, soccer did help me, and so I'm thankful for that. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. How about, yeah. What, what were your early thoughts going into, so Carleton college for those of our listeners who missed it earlier. Uh, it's a small liberal arts school in, uh, Northfield, Minnesota. And, uh, yeah, it's quite rigorous. As James said, he, like the soccer was helpful. Uh, he thinks at least in, in getting him him in uh yeah what were some of your early either impressions going into it or like plans or hopes or dreams plans hopes dreams focus uh heading into carl at heading into carlton when i was 18 years old i had no idea what to expect i knew i was going to school with two of my good friends from soccer um and that was about it like two good friends will corcoran best friend and then another gentleman neil who we grew up playing soccer with and I knew I was going to school there. But other than that, I didn't really know what to expect. I knew that Carleton was this prestigious academic institution, yada, 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 and all that jazz. But like, I didn't really, I had no idea what I was getting myself into from an academic standpoint. And the jump from high school to that was a pretty large step for me. I'd say for most people it is. Um, some were better suited for it based off of you know, study habits. But I had to make a lot of adjustments for me personally so that I could succeed and stick around. And, uh, you know, not have to leave or anything like that, which never happened, never got close to that, but I had to work pretty hard and I had to rethink how I thought and how I did things because I was really hell bent on becoming, going to medical school right from day one. Like that was, I mean, from the minute I walked into Carleton to the minute I left, (laughs) I was going to go to medical school, which is funny because I mean, I'm in healthcare, but I'm not in that realm at all really anymore. But, um, that was kind of my mindset. So I knew I had to do well. And when you have a few failures and you're struggling, you knew you had to change things. So I was constantly changing how I learned and how I did things. Never quite figured it out at Carleton, but I survived again. Yeah. I survived high school and then I got through that and survived. Yeah. What were some of your, uh, I mean, obviously you survived and like, what were some of your adjustments that you made in your, in your study habits or work habits? You know, just trying to be more focused, doing things like not in group work, doing stuff by myself, making my own notes, which I highly recommend. You can't just read a textbook and just have photographic memory. That doesn't work. Um, Science has shown that, you know, repetition is key. Um, Space repetition, too, where you have the ability to space things out over the course of, you know, a minute or two. So you review one fact and then you review some other stuff and then a minute or two later you come back to that fact. Space repetition is like a proven like way to, you know, retain information better. And so once I kind of figured that out towards the end, like that was towards the end, I started to see my, my, um, you know, grades, everything improve and overall like enjoyment of what I was studying too. Cause I was, like I said, I was pre-med and so I was in like bio, 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 like liberal arts school. I had to take, you know, 
um, the speaking voice and classes like that. But like that wasn't really my focus, which probably should have been more of my focus because those those classes kind of ended up hanging me up in my GPA a bit. But like I was really focusing on my science classes because I knew that's where my interest was and um, was kind of moving towards very early on. Once I took my first science class, I was like, all right. I kind of wish I wasn't at a liberal arts school so I could just do the science stuff because that's what I enjoyed and did well in. Yeah. Um, what what drew you to, I mean, so pre-medical obviously covers a number of subjects from physics, chemistry, psychology to biology. You ended up majoring in biology, though. What drew you to biology perhaps outside the consideration of of like a future career in healthcare, like what did you find fascinating about it in particular? Chemistry was too hard. Physics <laughs> was too hard. And bio was just more interesting in the sense that like you could start, I mean, the coursework that I took was from, you know, environmental science all the way to microbiology. Like biology gave much more of a realm from what I thought of, you know, diversity of studies rather than just being very narrow focused in physics and chemistry which at the time, you know, I, I know there's more to chemistry than just, you know, you know, mixing compound, like there's much more there. But my point is, is that like in biology at the time, early on, I realized that I could study a variety of different things and lab work, field work, that stuff seemed cool. And working in a lab seemed cool, which in retrospect, like now, like no thank you at all <laughs> yeah. never want to do that ever again yeah but it was but at the time when i was initially choosing a major i thought that biology gave me more um diverse area of study where i could you know be happy but also you know not be just so narrow-minded and focused yeah i think the diverse area of study so another another resource i'll link for our listeners in the in the show notes is there's a book called endless forms most beautiful by i forget the author but uh it's just it's a i mean there's many books on on evolution but his is particularly in the evolutionary developmental biology space uh and i mean there's there's so much to biology and it's it's also so beautiful because it is so tangible too so complex yeah so complex but somehow we end up being who we are and you know we don't have three eyes, right? I think like when you make developmental or evolutionary biology, that was really cool. Yeah. I ended up dropping evolutionary biology, but I did take developmental biology, which was a really cool class. Yeah, evolutionary biology just had that like 20 page paper. That was way too, <laughs> way too scary. Mark McCone yeah. is like the, the, the godfather of like serious. evolutionary biology yeah. theory or something. Like I was just terrified of that gentleman. Man. But yeah, uh, but, yeah you, you liked evolutionary or sorry, developmental. developmental. But what other, so was that, would you say that was your favorite category of biology? There? No, that was my last. My favorite was biochemistry. I, I, was so, biochemistry. Which is ironic because I said it, I hated lab work and all yeah. that stuff. And biochemistry was a lot of bench work. And, you know, I really liked, uh, I really liked the lab instructor, Sabrice, who was like a young postdoc. And he was just, he made it really fun. And kind of like Dan Murphy, he just was an impressionable person. And I just kind of vibed with him. And so it worked out where he yeah. made something so mundane and boring really cool. And then John Tomasco. What, a, what about him made it so fun and relatable? Because he was like a bro. Like, I don't know. Like, he, he appealed to, like, a young 20-year-old guy in the sense that he was, like, maybe 29, 30, you know? Yeah. He was, like, a postdoc, but he was – but he still, like, he, he would play Kanye. He would talk to us about music. He talked to us about pop, pop culture. He doesn't want in some, like, guy in a white coat or lab coat that was just, like – Yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel like science, like – Biology in general gets kind of a bad rep for, you know, the stuck up nerds and stuff like that. And there definitely are those types, but there are a lot of pe- there. There's a face behind the person or right. the professor in science. And right. he was able to show that a little bit more and relate to us, which was really cool. And so I just really enjoyed him. Like he, I don't know what he ended up doing, but he was there for a while. And I feel like he was very, he was very impressionable on a young dude like me. And he did the same for women yeah. too, but he just was very, very cool. Like he was, yeah. just, he was nice and he could get that. He understood what you were going through if you were struggling or right. not understanding a concert. He's like, I've been there. I can help yeah. you out. So yeah. very helpful. That's sweet. But the main, the main reason why I like biochemistry is John Tomasco, who, if you've taken a biochemistry course at the undergrad level, chances are you've read his textbook. He recently passed away, but John Tomasco was a legend of the game. He was so weird and so quirky 
I hate using the word quirky, but he was like, he was the most wild gentleman ever. Um, and he knew the textbook inside and out. So you could just ask him a question and he would be able to pick what page and be able to walk you through it simplistically, but also give you a more in-depth answer and tie it here and there. And it's just like an endless conversation with them, which was very fun. And he was also my comps advisor, which um, Aiden and I at Carleton, you have to do a senior thesis, which involves like a literature review and a presentation. And uh, I had a lot of self-doubt in myself, but he always believed in me and uh, ended up doing well. And that was like the only accolade I got from Carleton was distinction in my senior thesis because he was such a good coach and really pushed me to work hard. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I think so. It looks like he has a Polish last name, maybe. Tomasko? Yeah, it's T Y M O C K Z O or something. Okay. There's a Z and there's it's Polish or. If you're if you're if you have are taking biochemistry and it's called biochemistry a short course and the yeah you're taking the you're taking taking John Tomasko's John Tomasko you're using John Tomasko's textbook which is low key a good way to make a lot of money as a professor just write a textbook and have it be the one textbook that every school (laughs) uses it's probably making good good revenue yeah every year yeah it's a bit of a winner take all scenario though because I feel like there's the one textbook that everybody uses and then there's a whole bunch of textbooks that just no one uses and just one school (laughs) uses because yeah yeah (laughs) yeah um but yeah, that's that's funny. That's cool though. That's it. I mean, one thing that I think has been a theme too, uh, and that also just I think we've iterated on the Common Science podcast before uh, is just the importance of having personable, exciting teachers uh, and people who believe in people. Makes life a lot more fun yeah. in learning. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's great. And so you got comps and you or you did your comps or your like version of a senior thesis and graduated and barely again barely survived <laughs> but you survived uh and then uh you ended up uh like taking a little bit of a like some time and and you ended up working in eye care how did you find eye care well, like I graduated from Carleton and I ended up coaching at the soccer team for a year because I had no idea what I was going to do. And then I was still thinking about medical school, but was, pardon me, all concerned about my grades. So I was trying to think about, you know, what could I do to make my resume better? And I didn't want to really be a scribe in an ER, which in retrospect, if I wanted to be in medical school, that's a great job. A lot of people do that. It's amazing. But I just didn't really want to do that because, to be honest, I thought the hours kind of stunk. And I, I, wanted, I didn't want to work like the late shift on a Saturday night. Yeah. I wanted to be out having fun. So that was, that was a decision I made. But I was taking it. I ended up taking an EMT class who where I found my girlfriend, um, which now six years later is crazy to say. But that was where we met. Um, and so I was in the healthcare field but like didn't have a job because I was just coaching and living at in my parents' basement and wanted to get out of that situation. And when a friend called, uh, she had taken a job in um, doing clinical research at the VA here in Minneapolis, which was much more down her alley um, on her path to medical school, um, instead of doing like a, a scribe or tech work at an eye clinic, which she was offered the job. So she literally just gave me the job and was like, hey, you'd be great, take it. And I had no idea what I was gonna expect or do. Um, and ended up walking into that job and working there for four and a half years and um, rotating. I started with a pediatric ophthalmologist, um, which is uh, essentially a guy that, an eye doctor that works with kids, specifically dealing with um, children that have misaligned eyes. And so doing surgery to correct that and other, other like, you know, minimally invasive care for a variety of diseases. So I was exposed to a lot of cool and interesting cases. Um, and then kind of worked my way up and ended up becoming a technician because scribe work was kind of boring, just being a typist. So I was a technician for three years, um, seeing patients. And that's where I really realized that I wanted to be in patient care is working as a technician with patients every day, all day, and, you know, helping them see better, which Mm -hmm. sounds corny and, but it was true. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, there's so much there that stands out. Uh, I think uh we're we're getting close on time so we might have to do a part two for for grad school but um yeah i think 
I mean, there, there's so much there in, in your experience finding your way to eye care uh, in that, number one, I think it's super important. Uh, and I, and it sounds like you'd agree being the people person you are, but, but being, being human and making real connections with people so that people care and you have a community that can look out for you when you're in need of a of a, a gig or or just a, a pat on the back or whatever it might be uh like yeah i think it is super important to to hold your community close uh besides that uh too i would say you you mentioned that the er role was not for you uh a wise man once told me uh he was this australian guy who worked uh in marketing during the week and then on the weekends volunteered as a zookeeper uh, so, so weird so weird that's like <laughs> no do you man dudes. do you but that's such a strange combo right but he he was like he his wise words to me were like man like i love taking care of the bears and the and the the wolves but i don't want to be here 365 days a year because somebody's got to feed them on christmas and and so his compromise was to to work by day and 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 work the nine to five and then be able to do it on the side and so um yeah he said to design your design what sort of life you might like first because there's so many interesting and cool options out there in the world and so he said like think about what sorts of things you might want like do you want to work evenings or not do you want to work like because these things matter more than you'd think rather than like oh i want to be a doctor because i think like medicine is cool because there's a lot of things there's a lot of things within medicine right um and one of which is optometry and yeah um i mean we'll, we'll, we might have to have a, a an part two uh on optometry but uh just to uh start to wrap things up we, we'll go over time a bit uh what sorts of advice uh would you have for uh somebody who's maybe interested in in healthcare more broadly and then more specifically eyes and eye care um advice would be for just like the general like healthcare field is that there's so much competition and so much is put into like scores and resume and all that stuff but it's truly what your path is how it doesn't it doesn't really matter what is what i'm saying is, is as long as you're focusing on what you have to do and you're checking boxes here and there like you know this is what I'm going to do today. This is what I'm going to do tomorrow. And it's adding up. You know what I mean? It's simple math. If you're doing the right things and focusing on the right things and, you know, focusing on what you have to do and not what others around you are tr- focused on doing, you will get there eventually. And you'll be much more happy about it if you don't try to compare yourself to others. Because I feel like the whole competition thing, like, I don't know if anyone's ever gone on med school Twitter, but med school Twitter's like, super supportive yada 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 but they also are super competitive and that is also a huge turnoff to me is just like just focus on what you're doing it you'll eventually get there and you'll be happier in the end by not looking out the windows and compare yourself to others um in specifics to optometry um it's hard because optometry is such a unique and distinct field like i don't wear glasses aiden is blind as a bat without his glasses <laughs> everyone else in my family is but i don't wear glasses or contacts or anything like that and so my like route there is just weird in the sense that i was in healthcare, just got this job and got interested in eye care um by working with optometrists and ophthalmologists but um getting experience in shadowing is just like such an easy way to really see if you like it no pun intended yeah. but you have to kind of understand the role that optometry serves in the healthcare sphere and see if that's really cut out for you because optometry is unique in the sense that it's like a dentist, right? There's routine and then there's medical care. And then there's kind of this gray area in between where people do both. And if you're not cut out to deal with the routine side of it, where you have people yelling at you about their glasses and costs and their vision plans, but also dealing with 
the medical side of things where, you know, you need to be able to communicate with a comprehensive healthcare team for referrals and all that stuff. It may not be cut out for you. Um, and then you should just do that one side, which is, you know, just do the medical side of it, which is more ophthalmology related or, you know, just focusing on that area, but getting a feel and, you know, shadowing in different areas will show you the full scope of optometry because it's a incredibly diverse spectrum from Warby Parker to, you know, like the UIC optometry clinic, which is like all diabetics and uh, glaucoma treatment. So it's, it's interesting. You can do anything in optometry. So see, see what you like. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, what sorts of what sorts of personalities, or, or do you think you you'd see as good fits for optometrists? You don't have to be me. You don't have to be like a personable, sociable, loud person. Okay. I mean, I'm in a class of like 130 people, and I'd say that we have a gamut of you know, the very quiet, you know, reserved person all the way up to, you know, the loud mouth person like me on the right side yeah. of the spectrum so you can be anything and and i think that's true for all healthcare practitioners it doesn't person me personality doesn't define you as a health healthcare practitioner you don't have to be a loud boisterous person patients come to see doctors based off of what fits for them so it's kind of like a lock and key system in the sense that the more diverse doctors we have will fit a more diverse patient population and so that's kind of my two cents on it you, anyone can be a doctor if they really want to. It's just a matter of like, if you're going to like me, eventually right. down the road, there's going to be patients that like you. You just have to be able to, you know, deal with them in a professional manner while also, you know, treating their ailments or dealing with whatever their complaints are. Yeah. And, you know, if you can do that, anyone can be a doctor. Yeah, that's uh, that's inspiring to hear because uh, yeah. I think a lot of people get wrapped up in the... Uh, those sorts of things and and trying to find the the exact fit and so it's it's good to know that yeah i mean good enough is good enough uh yeah one one last note i know uh we had uh mentioned this before the cast but uh i'm curious uh so one thing that we always ask is like find is is finding science in, in your daily life uh outside of the professional work uh, scenario. Uh, and I know that you're an avid photographer. Mm. Uh, why does it bring you joy? And, and yeah, like, cause I work with cameras all day. Yeah. Optometry and eye care revolves around a lot of imaging and photos between OCT imaging to fundus photos. You know, I think that pho- photography for me, I find it so fascinating when I use it in my professional life that when I use it outside of my professional life, I find it just as equally cool in using it much more in a creative manner rather than more of a diagnostic or a tool um, is pretty fun. Also, yeah. just a huge shout out to Mickey, our mother. She was like super into photography. Like we were blessed with like way too many photos of us as kids. And so growing up around photo- photography, it's always been around us and a part of us. And so now be able to be able to afford my own camera, my own lenses, and experiment and have fun. And Chicago is like an amazing city to do photography in. I mean, I have a backpack. I carry my camera with me everywhere. So I'm always taking a photo. Um, not a big iPhone photo guy, but I like my DSLR. And um, yeah, it's been fun. I, I just awesome. it's it's just way more fun than you know not taking photos. I don't know if that sounds stupid, but sure. <laughs> taking photos is more fun than not taking photos. And then I don't know. I feel like so much of our lives digital, but so many people don't take photos of our friends and places around us um, that we just kind of, you know, stare into the abyss of social media and not to get so philosophical. But I think that the more photos you have for yourself later on, you're going to be happier than when you don't. So that's kind of why it's not, it's kind of like a FOMO fear of missing out syndrome. Yeah. Um, I don't want to forget stuff and I don't want to miss out on things. Yeah. I also really don't want to forget stuff and you, you, yeah, for those of our listeners, that's a nice plug for uh, you to listen back uh, to our aging episode uh, where I talk about my fear of, of forgetting things. <laughs> it's not looking good for us. Look at Fred, our father. Just kidding. No, no. Um, but yeah, I, I can't agree more. I think there is immense value to creating as opposed to uh, just consuming. Uh, there's something that really fills... Uh, my cup when I'm publishing a podcast episode mm-hmm. or or snapping some photos. So that's really that's really inspiring. And what what's like uh, one 
like step somebody might take in their journey to learning photography if they're completely novice but they are wanting to get beyond the iphone or their android camera obviously youtube 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 um i just feel like i've learned i I started out there and then there's a bunch of great books um i can't remember the name of the book um if I look it up, I, we can plug it if you want. Yeah. Um, but it's just a simple book that talks about, you know, um, aperture, shutter speed, and ISO. Like, there's three things, like, you really need in photography and how those things are intertwined and how you deal with things, uh, different aspects. And so I felt like, um, you know, YouTube combined with books can really help you. But just getting out and taking your camera, and if you have a DSLR or whatever camera, and turning it off auto and starting in the P feature, which is program, which is a, like the beginner's version of the manual, which I don't really use manual that ever. I use aperture shutter priority. Um, I think it's a really big step. And so just going out, turning your camera onto P mode program and just shooting, um, and then going and editing your photos, is it's all about trial and error. And so starting, don't get so hung up in learning. Just go out and teach yourself so yeah learning through failure uh that's that's just common science it's true and no matter what you approach it's true in science it's true in photography it's true in life life so learned a lot from failures (laughs) i mean there's been like an underlying tone that i've said they survived (laughs) (laughs) many different stages i survived i survived grad school too but yeah and, and so yeah uh uh we can wrap up with just a freaking congratulations that that james has survived grad school yes i survived i passed my part one boards i'm very excited and and well cheers to that cheers and and on on that note we will now that i got my uh my cheers in me uh on that note we'll wrap up this common science cast uh specifically the story cast with my brother james we touched on a lot of things we touched on Growing up abroad, uh, going from Brazil to England, um, the role of soccer in early life and inspiring teachers throughout. And yeah, we hope you learned a tidbit uh, from his story and our conversation as well. And you can subscribe to our email newsletter by going to our website, common scientists, that's plural, dot uh, com. Uh, or you can subscribe us on Patreon as well uh, and smash the subscribe button on whatever your favorite podcast. Yeah, your favorite podcast listening app is. And thanks for tuning in. We hope to hear, or we hope to hear, I was going to say, hope to hear from you next week. Hope to see you next week. But we hope you tune in next week. <laughs>